Well, good morning, Covenant College. Good morning, Covenant College. It is so good to be with you this morning. Seriously, there is no place in the world that I would rather be today. Uh, first, I want to thank Chaplain Lowe for the invitation to come be with you all this morning, to talk to you uh, about calling, something you don't often hear about at Covenant College. So it might be a new topic for some of you, but we'll dive in. It's okay. Try to keep up. Um, as Grant mentioned, I live in Washington, D.C., and anytime I talk to somebody in my circles in Washington, D.C. about calling, typically there's a blank stare back at me because they have no idea what in the world I mean whenever I say calling. Um, but this weekend, I've been encouraged and reminded about how incredible you students are at Covenant College. I've had the chance to spend a little bit of time with some of you over breakfast, hanging out at Mountain Affair, and just walking around the college campus. And you take the issue of calling very seriously. You wrestle with each other. You wrestle with Jesus about what his calling is on your life. And there are not many places in the country or in the world uh, that I can imagine that that takes place at. And I'm also encouraged that you chose to spend four years at a college like Covenant College, at Covenant College, an institution that takes the issue of calling extremely seriously as well, and that wants you to be in this place, to walk with each other and with Jesus and with faculty, to struggle through what is it that you're called to do in this world. So as I mentioned, and I mean it very seriously, there is no place in the world I would rather be this morning. Whenever I was at Covenant College, I lived on 2nd South, and I need to know where they're at. Thank you. Good morning. It's good to see you actually got out of bed. It's not every time we can say that. No, seriously, good to see you guys. Um, and whenever I was on 2nd South, I remember the late nights wrestling through some of those tough issues and asking those hard questions. But I also remember the crazy stories that happened while I was at Covenant College. And I just have to start out my time this morning by telling you about one of my favorite stories from my time here. As Grant mentioned, I played basketball at Covenant College, and for the basketball players and many of the athletes in the room, you know that during January you have to come back early from Christmas break to spend a couple of weeks practicing and getting ready for games. And so we were back on the mountain as a team. I think we were the only people on Covenant College's campus at the time. And every day we would go to practice. We would have practice a couple times, and then at the end of the day we would drive down to my coach's house, which was just down by the Starbucks off Aladdin. So after practice, we all piled into our car. It was a little SUV, probably about 10 of us stacked on top of each other. My buddy Jake was driving, and we headed on down. And as many of you know, freshmen, you may not know yet, but January is not exactly the most scenic time of year on top of the mountain. So it was dark, it was wet, it was snowy outside, and we were coming just over the top of the hill that you take to go down before you hang a right over towards the Chalmers Center. And we're rolling down that hill and out of nowhere, bam, we smack right into a deer, this loaded car. Deer goes launching off the front end of the car. We all, we slam on the brakes, we hop out of the car, we all pour out and we're looking around to try to find it in about... 20 feet away. It's just laying there. Kid you not. So we think to ourselves, well, at least we don't have to worry about what to do with the deer. But as we stood there for a few more minutes, all of a sudden, that head popped right up. 
and just started looking around. And I just looked at my buddies and was like, what in the world are we going to do with this animal? Maybe it's alive. Maybe it's okay. Nope, not at all. As we stood there and watched it, it struggled and tried to get up to move. I won't describe the scene for you, but it was not a pretty one. Thankfully, after about a minute of us panicking, trying to figure out what in the world was going to happen, a truck pulls up right next to us and out hops out what I can only describe as one of those fine country gentlemen that live on the mountain. This gentleman walks up to us and says, boys, y'all want that deer? <laughs> and we asked him, sir, what? And he says, y'all want that deer? No, sir, we, we do not. Well, do you mind if I take that deer? By all means, please rid us of our ignorance. So sure enough, starts walking over towards the deer, pulls out of his pocket a knife, stands up, looks at us, says, knife's too short, got to get a bigger knife. <laughs> so he walks back across the street to his truck, pulls out a phone, and calls his buddy. We are standing there absolutely in shock. We've got an almost dead deer that has now had its life almost taken for a second time, struggling, and we are just thinking, what in the world is going on right now? About a couple minutes later, another pickup truck pulls around the corner, shows up with one of those fine country gentlemen who walks out, and I kid you not, folks, pulls out a knife I can only describe as a Bowie knife, hands it to the first gentleman, he walks back over to the deer, and thankfully puts it out of his misery. Both of them pick up the deer, proceed to throw it in the back of the first truck, Second truck drives off, and just before the first gentleman gets back in his car to drive away with this deer, he comes back over to us and he says, what do you want? And we look at each other and we're just in disbelief at this point for a whole host of reasons. We said, sir, what do you mean? And he said, well, for the deer, what do you want? And we said, absolutely nothing. Please just go. It's all right. So sure enough, he said, thanks, drive safe, hopped in his car, and he was well on his way, as were we at that point in total shock. Now, why am I telling you this story this morning? You may be thinking. It's not because I am curious as to whether or not there will be deer meat served in the Great Hall for lunch, though that would be a unique surprise. It is because I want to ask you that very same question that that gentleman asked of us that night on Lookout Mountain. What do you want? How do you feel when you hear that question? Does it make you excited, anxious, confused? If you're anything like me, it's actually a pretty tough question to answer. But as big and challenging as this question is, I think it's a good one for us to wrestle with together this morning. Why? Because it forces us into the tension between God's calling on our lives as Christians and the dreams, the hopes, and the gifts that we feel inside. Today I want to give you a framework for how to answer the question, what do you want? And specifically, 
we'll look at three smaller questions that will help us answer this big one. So if you're a note taker, go ahead and pull it out. The first question we'll look at is what does the world want from me? Second question, what do you want from me? Third and finally, what does Jesus want from me? Then we'll wrap up with three practical applications that you can apply to your life today as you figure out the answer to that big question of what do you want? So if you have a Bible with me this morning, open it up to Colossians chapter 1, verses 11 through 14. Colossians 1, 11 through 14. And I'll read it for us now. It says, may you be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might. For all endurance and patience with joy. Giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of His beloved Son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. This is the word of our Lord. So the first question that I want us to wrestle with as we look at this text this morning is what does the world want from you? And as a quick poll to get us started, Raise your hand. Who in here has watched CNN, Fox News, or one of the major news networks in the past month? Just raise your hand. News station, okay. Who in here has read a hard copy newspaper in the past month? Raise your hand. Oh, that's impressive. That is impressive. Well done, Covenant College. And last, who in here has scrolled through Twitter in the past month? Get those hands up. Okay. Well done, Gen Zers. You are on track with the apps. Um, I have to confess that I'm not a huge Twitter guy. I'm actually not a big social media guy. But one of the things that I find absolutely amazing about Twitter is its ability to make you feel in one moment like you're having the best day of your life. And one second later to just absolutely crush you. It really is an amazing service. You guys know the feeling. You pull out your phone, you click on the app, and you start scrolling. And off the bat, you see that your favorite sports team won the game last night. And instantly, the smile on your face begins to grow. But as you keep scrolling, you then start to see the images of the Bahamas after a major hurricane goes through. And your heart then starts to sink. Well, you keep scrolling, and out of nowhere, a funny cat video pops up to elate you just a little bit after that tragic image. And then finally you see a recent tweet from your friend stating that she just got diagnosed with cancer. Now I'm not here to criticize the use of Twitter or any social media. It's actually an incredible thing to have access to 24-7 global news and information at just the tap of a screen. But I am concerned that the roller coaster of emotion we feel while scrolling through Twitter has impacted our empathy. Author Neil Postman puts it this way, Orwell feared those who would deprive us of information. Huxley feared those who would give us so much information that we would be reduced to passivity and egotism. End quote. My friends, despite the onslaught of information you face every single day, 
I want you to know that you are not called to passivity and egotism. You're called to power and endurance in a broken world. Look back with me at verse 11 in Colossians 1. It says, may you be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy. Friends, what the world wants from you is passivity and egotism. You see, when Adam and Eve first sinned in the garden, something in the world severed. What once was a perfect place now suffered and bled. And in that moment, darkness and death crept across the horizon and tears watered the ground for the very first time in history. To put it simply, the world broke. It was a tragedy, really. And we see the outworking of this tragedy displayed every day across our phones and in our own lives. In fact, I had the chance to eat breakfast with a couple of you on Saturday morning. And we talked about some of the tremendous pain felt in this very room. The passing of Dr. Eames last summer. Loved ones taken away in an instant by a car wreck. Sexual assault and insensitivity. I know you feel the brokenness of the world in this room. And what the world wants from you is to run away to the safety of distraction and entertainment. To run to passivity and to egotism. To stop caring and let brokenness consume you. But Christ calls you to something better. He doesn't call you to run. He calls you to enter into the muck and the brokenness of this world in order to redeem it. And he promises to give you the power and the endurance that you need to make it so. This is one of the reasons I love living in Washington, D.C. and working in Washington. Because when you, play, when you live in a place called the swamp, it's pretty easy to find the muck sitting around. And when people ask me, Ryan, why and how in the world do you live in Washington, D.C.? I like to always tell them, after a few years of being there, God's given me the gills and the fins I need to survive in the swamp, in the muck. Even so, I won't lie to you. It's hard to serve a broken world. It'll cost you, it'll be challenging, and at times all you'll have are tears. The world wants you to walk in brokenness with it. But Christ calls you to enter that brokenness, to help redeem it. So let's move on to you and me. Question number two, what do you want from you? Look with me at verse 12. It says, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. In this verse, Paul reminds us of our identity, of our qualification in Christ. That we are saints in light created uniquely and individually and called to share in his kingdom. And I want to argue that when you think about your identity, when you think about your qualification in Christ, you also have to think about your calling in the world. That means figuring out what you're good at, where you want to work, what kind of family you want to have, and what life you want to live. In fact, 
if you agree with the idea that God puts you on this planet to help redeem it, you have to step back and ask, all right, God, what am I good at? And what do I care about? What am I supposed to do with these passions and these hopes that I feel bubbling up inside of me? And how can I use those gifts to advance your kingdom's work here on earth? My friends, I'm here to remind you this morning that you are not robots. You are living, breathing conduits of the Holy Spirit, built masterfully and uniquely by a sovereign God. And guess what? Nothing about you is a mistake. The architect of heaven fashioned you to do something that will advance his glory and bring you joy, whether that's through politics, through ministry, through art, through music, through motherhood and fatherhood. I'm talking about the dreams and the hopes that you have deep inside of you. Those are not empty longings. God created you perfectly. And he is so good and so kind that he set those dreams and hopes within you in order to drive you towards the place you're supposed to be to help redeem this world along with it. Honestly, I think the best way to illustrate this is just to tell you a little bit about about my own story. When I first arrived at Covenant, I thought I would become a pastor or a theology professor. I loved Jesus and I loved his word and thought the natural next step was to go to seminary and start preaching. But during college, for some reason, Christ planted a desire in my heart to pursue politics. Now, I have to tell you, at the time, I did not have the first clue about politics. I didn't grow up in a family that we talked about it around the dinner table. I didn't know what it meant to be a Republican or a Democrat, and I sure did not know how to get a job in Washington, D.C. But I believed, and I still believe, that the church is incredibly important, that people need great men and women serving in the church to love them and help shepherd their souls. But what I also started to realize is that people need roads to get to church. People need education so that when they go to church, they can understand what's being taught to them. And quite frankly, folks, people need food on the table at home and the hope of a life a little bit better for their kids and themselves so that they have the desire to go to church. God built me with a passion to serve and to love people. I thought at first it would be in full-time ministry, but at some point along the way in college, God taught me that I could serve and love people in politics. And that he wanted people like me who both love him and have a dream to serve in politics to go and to do it. Honestly, today I actually still wrestle with those questions. Sometimes I feel like I should quit and go into full-time ministry. Other times, I actually have no idea where I am headed exactly. But what I do know is that God created me with these gifts and these dreams, and he calls me to bring those to him and to wrestle with him about how to live them out. So ask yourself, what do you want from you? What are you good at? What are your gifts and your dreams? I can't answer those questions for you this morning. 
but I can tell you that God has qualified you as a son or a daughter. And he asks you to take those passions and dreams to him and to wrestle. And in that wrestling, I guarantee you, he will show you exactly where you're supposed to be. So this takes us to our final question and most important question this morning. What does Jesus want from you? with me at verses 13 and 14. It says, He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of His beloved Son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. My friends, Jesus does not want anything from you. Let me say that again. Jesus does not want anything from you. Jesus wants you. No matter what you do, you can't earn His love, His grace, His forgiveness, or His redemption. So don't spend your life trying to. Or as the philosopher band Drew Holcomb and the neighbors recently said, stop spending all your money on forgiveness of sins. Stand up and bear witness. Go slay all the dragons that stand in your way. Jesus' death and resurrection is the guarantee of our salvation. He's completely delivered us and transferred us into His kingdom. And that changes everything about how we live. Because Christian, if you believe that this morning, that the very same Spirit who raised Jesus from the grave dwells inside of you, then that Spirit of life and power is not fuel for you to try harder to earn His affection and grace. It's fuel for you to run into the world as a co-redeemer with Him. Jesus' blood is the energy that you need to combat poverty, to end human trafficking, and to reconcile racism. It's the energy that you need to save yourselves from marriage and to save your marriage one day from yourself. It's the lamp that you need to see and understand God's call on your life. It's the power to slay all the dragons that stand in your way. Jesus doesn't want anything from you. His blood paid for absolutely everything. He wants you. And when you stop trying to earn His love and start living in His grace, then you're actually free to go and truly live. Now some of you might be thinking, great, I appreciate the framework on how to answer the question, what do you want? But I have no clue what I want. And quite frankly, I just got to make it through today. I got classes, I got a girlfriend or a boyfriend, I got stuff going on. Ryan, do you have anything that's going to help me today? Well, I'm glad you asked. Because I want to wrap up this morning with three quick applications for us. First, get out of the mud. Get out of the mud. Famous C.S. Lewis quote, It would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered to us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. 
we are far too easily pleased. Friends, every one of us in this room has mud that we're playing. Whether it's sin, whether it's vanity, whether it's pride. We love to play in the mud because it's comfortable and we know what it feels like. And it's where we've probably spent a lot of our time. But I'm here to tell you this morning, Jesus is here to tell you this morning, get out of the mud because he offers you a holiday at the sea. And that's what walking with him in your call is. It's a holiday at the sea and the joy of Christ living and breathing in what he has called each of you to do. So number one, get out of the mud. Number two for us this morning, take a deep breath. Take a deep breath. So many of us spend our lives and our time trying to do, to achieve, to earn, to succeed. And I live in Washington, D.C. That's not a bad thing. But it is a bad thing whenever you make it become your God, the idol of success and achievement, the idol of figuring out what life should look like or is supposed to look like. So this morning, friends, take a deep breath and rest. We sang it earlier. Rest in his faithfulness, in his goodness, in his love. Knowing that he will lead and guide you exactly where you're supposed to go as you walk with him. Take a deep breath. Number three and finally, swing the bat. Swing the bat. Good buddy of mine named Bobby Polito up in Washington, D.C., had the privilege of working for George W. Bush during his first presidential administration in the early 2000s. And quite frankly, Bobby, before he got that job, did not deserve in any way, and he'd tell you this to this day, he did not deserve that job in any way, shape, or form. He had not been in politics. He didn't live in Washington. He ran a couple of amazing homeless shelters and ministries in New York and Wisconsin. But sure enough, President Bush found out about what he was doing, called Bobby up, got him down to Washington, D.C., and when Bobby walked into the Oval Office on Inauguration Day, President Bush looked at him and said, Bobby, I want you to come run my faith-based work. I, I hear you're doing some pretty cool stuff in these ministries. Would you come do that? Bobby looked back at President Bush and said, before I answer that question, sir, I know you like baseball, so can I just give you a little analogy? for how I think this is going to go if I say yes. He said, in baseball, as you know, sir, if I hit the ball three out of ten times, I'm an all-star that season. If I hit the ball four out of ten times, I'm in the Hall of Fame. Are you okay with me only hitting the ball three or four times out of ten? And President Bush looked back at Bobby and said to him, Bobby, all I want you to do is get up and swing the bat. So Bobby took the job and they went running. And what does that mean for us today? It means that in the midst of all of the questions, the doubts, the insecurities, the fears, the struggles, the pain that you feel, what God calls you to today is faithfulness. To step into the proverbial batter's box and to swing the bat with everything that you have. To try to walk in that calling of grace and life with Jesus Christ. Get out of the mud, take a deep breath, swing the bat. So, my friends, what do you want? 
It's a tough question. But knowing the answers to what the world wants from you, to what you want from you, and what Jesus wants from you will help you answer that question in time. Keep chasing the answer to that question as you walk and you wrestle with Jesus. And in the meantime, get out of the mud. Take a deep breath and swing the bat. Amen? Thanks. Let me pray for us. Jesus, we love you. We're so grateful for your calling on our lives because you never leave us, nor do you forsake us. Father in heaven, we love you. And most of all, we know and believe and hope and have the grace that you love us. God, guide us as we try to live out your calling on our lives right here, right now, today. Would you be magnified and glorified in our struggle and deliver us home? Jesus, we're so grateful. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.